Welcome to the U.S. Expansion Series, the podcast where you can learn about successfully expanding to and scaling your business in the U.S. markets. My name is Fleur. My name is Flora, and in every episode, we dive into a different aspect of successful market expansion. Flora, how are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. We received so many positive messages after our first episode with David Beckett. I'm very happy and excited for this second episode. How are you feeling? I feel the same way, actually. I'm not going to lie, it was a bit nerve-wracking, but I'm very excited for what's to come, including today's episodes, because we had the pleasure to talk to Jordi Vermeer from Channel Engine. And before we get started, is there anything we want to point out to the listeners? I think it was very fascinating to get more insights into how massive the e-commerce industry is in the U.S., which is something that I kind of knew, of course, but I didn't realize that the numbers were actually this high, which also means that there is a lot of opportunity for European e-commerce companies to grow and scale their business in the U.S. And I think it's great that Jordi shares his tips both on the expansion journey of Channel Engine and also his knowledge and the do's and don'ts for expanding to the U.S. as an e-commerce company. Well, without further ado... Let's dive in. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on our podcast today. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And we thought you were a perfect guest because we looked at your resume. And, you know, you have quite some experience previously at Sana Commerce and currently as the Channel Engine VP Revenue North America. Correct. Yeah. Thank you. So before we, you know, dive in, Please introduce yourself. Tell us a bit more about what you do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and also I'm honored to be here. Thank you for, guys for inviting me. Um, having had a lot of joy and, and uh, pleasure to work with you guys at Tops uh, in, in your office, but also uh, the services you guys provide. So thank you for that. Um, in the past few years, I've worked with with multiple. So the main two tech companies I work with were Sada Commerce and channel engine uh and and i grew uh, in sana commerce i grew from um hiring developing building european uh tech or, or sales teams uh and and started doing that also in the united states uh sana was a little bit further established before i um uh, before i joined there in, in in north america um but that experience was for me a very good foundation to uh take the leap and, and, and a step towards channel can, channel engine, uh, where I'm now responsible for the build. So I, yeah, I was the first hire basically in the region. Um, and build it now from, I think we have around 15 people locally. Um, I would say the most interesting part is I, I am a builder and I love challenges. Uh, and if someone tells me I can do it, then I, I like to prove them differently. So that's, that's, I think, uh, a little bit about myself. Nice. I don't know if you want to know other things about me, but... Yeah, thanks. It's great to have you today. And I think that's exactly already what you're mentioning. That's what I'm very interested in. Um, you were hired to lead the U.S. expansion. 
you mentioned that you're a builder and you rented an office in the beginning at TAP. So we saw you working very hard every day. But I'm very curious, like, where did you start? So you were head of the US expansion and then what? Well, it, it started with, and I hope I'm humble enough for that, but just doing sales, you know, like going after the market, going after partners to collaborate with, figuring out what the market needed, talking to clients, prospects, uh, and, 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 you know, potential uh, colleagues to see what was needed in order to, to do that expansion. Of course, I had a good understanding of cultural differences and, and the e-commerce landscape because of my background in Tana Commerce. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely a, a, a step towards uh, yeah, not having uh, built something from scratch. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was a, a very fun experience. And was there also an initial research phase where you did market research or you tested the product market fit in the US or you went straight to the action phase? There was a, a slight research phase. I think it was even done before I joined. We all know the the major the, how large the U.S. economy is, and and I'm I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about it a little bit later. But uh, we we knew that already with existing clients that we have, right? We were servicing some clients that had the plans to go to U.S. or they were actually U.S. based and they were planning to go to us uh, in in Europe. So we knew that, um, and we saw that the biggest. A uh, unique identifier we could be across our, our comp competition was that global um, expansion or being being part of the trend of globalization for these brands and retailers. Yeah, it's not only the US. Channel Engine is also expanding throughout the world quite rapidly. Is the expansion strategy very similar in the different countries or were there things very specific to the US markets in the expansion strategy here? So. I think there's a few markets where we see, so we're, Channel Engine is a marketplace integration platform uh, where we facilitate uh, for brands through a single connection with Channel Engine. Uh, we facilitate the connections with all these online marketplaces, sometimes also social channels and, and uh, click advertise channels we, we'll get into later. But the big thing is, uh, some markets we see the marketplaces grow very fast. So we we've seen this all in the Netherlands or in Europe happening, right? With Bold.com and and then Amazon and uh, other markets in in Germany where they have Otto and and Kaufland, France they have Fnac, Cdiscount, and that that whole development we started seeing also in other markets especially in the US where Amazon was the leading one but it was also the only one and now a lot of others are coming up in the market um, and we saw that also happening in in places like Southeast Asia a very big mm. marketplace e-commerce market uh, and uh, Australia New Zealand mm -hmm. is, is a place where that is uh, and now it's about to happen in Dubai as well mm. um, I would say the only one we're not in that active or two is China which is a very vast they're further than anywhere else mm -hmm. so it's hard for us to compete or to to be active there as well as Latin America because it's such a vast uh, thing we have to uh, gather more resources uh, for to uh, to be ready for a market like that yeah so it's also quite a natural growth where you're following the marketplaces yeah, the and countries. the clients mm, and the yeah. clients because they're like, hey, I, I want to expand to North America or I want to expand to uh, Australia. Do you have anything for that? Right. And then with those clients, we can expand further. This is first what we did in Europe. So in yeah. Europe it was from the Netherlands. It's like, oh, I want to sell in Germany and I want to sell in, in France and then, you know, later to Poland. And uh, so, yeah, it went further and further like that. I'm curious. So looking back at the market expansion in general, what would you say were 
the main challenges for Channel Engine? And like, what have you learned? Or maybe there are challenges that you're still facing? Well, first of all, the challenge for a business like ours, but any business is to, you, people are afraid of North America, right? We're talking specifically mm -hmm. about the US, mm -hmm. I, I presume. So people are a little bit afraid of this market because it's so big and the legal repercussions and the, you know, everything you have to follow the rules, but it's different because the rules here, there are many, but some rules are really uh, important and some rules are actually just there to not be necessarily followed. So it's, it's very tough to make that estimation. Uh, therefore, setting up a business and a business entity is crucial. And, and again, you guys helped us perfectly with this and that was seamless. So I would definitely say, don't try to do that yourself. Uh, I knew that from others already, and you guys have done it also for Sana Commerce and a few right. other businesses. So I knew that, and and it's don't try to invent that wheel yourself. <laughs> if if there's a company like you guys, just just not to sell you guys, but it's it really works. Um, secondary, the prioritization of product was a bit of a struggle, uh, and I think that's for every also tech company mm -hmm. uh, the case, and maybe even also for brands, but it's. The U.S. market has a different need uh, or a different structure, right? With us, it was uh, the tax and how the taxes are calculated, or uh, some pieces, or, or some of the channels, right? Mm -hmm. That we needed to uh, onboard Walmart, and yeah, that's a different type of channel, and and right. we think then uh, we can tell them how to uh, set up their legal agreement. <laughs> but of course, Walmart is going to tell you <laughs> this is the agreement, take yeah. it or leave it. You know, so right. there was there was some struggles there. Uh, the biggest one is you, you have to convince your management team from a strategic perspective, as opposed to uh, here's what the clients wants from a from a product expansion. Mm -hmm. A few other things like finding the right talent and understanding how how they how they should be compensated, mm -hmm. especially salespeople. Right, it's much more aggressive with the commission plans. Uh, you need to fit your pricing model to the market. Mm -hmm. uh, that of course is a lot of testing. So that's what I did as well in the start. And typically you price a little bit higher in North America because your cost is also uh, some higher in North America, especially US. Uh, growing brands presence. Uh, my biggest advice there is go to events, mm -hmm. right? That's it's. A, I would say we have a pretty good, uh, honest way of dealing with people. So. Uh, them seeing you at every single event now has been like, oh, I see you guys everywhere. You guys are amazing, but they don't right. really know exactly how we're doing, but they see us everywhere, so we're amazing. Yeah. Um, growing inbound on the website, of course, it's 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 tremendous, making sure that the languages and, and the traffic, SEO, SEO, like all, all the conversions, it's, that's, a, that's a big piece. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on, of course. Right. There's a lot, a lot of, of objections from the market we, we need to face. Is uh, there one thing that you might have underestimated? Or a mistake, you're like, I need to fix this. Um, I think in Europe, we were growing very naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have to do outbound. We were just, you know, client referrals. Everyone loved us. Uh, right. So that was kind of like my assumption as well going into this. I knew it was going to be hard working, mm -hmm. but now we saw like, oh, oh, damn, you know, it's 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 a little bit more than that. Our biggest competitor in Europe where we were winning a lot. It, it's an American company and they're mm -hmm. probably traded, but mm -hmm. we were winning most of them in Europe. But that was because that was our turf. Right. And now we come to their turf. Right. And that was a, that was a, some like, uh, yeah, some more challenges uh, and not having some um, really good local clients that work with you on the product, mm -hmm. that work with you as a referral was sometimes challenging. And 
so you've been in New York for how many years? Four? So that's, a, that's an interesting story. I came here around um, April 2019. Okay. I stayed here for two years for Sound of Commerce. Mm -hmm. Then I switched to Channel Engine. And then our visa or the e E2 visa uh, dictates you have to go back and get right. a new visa. And I right. wanted to go the official route to not have any, any challenges. Issues, yeah. That might have been the biggest uh, uh, <laughs> challenge for me right. personally, but also from our company, right? Because you need a lot of documents and I know you guys helped with it, but still there's, there's so much to go yeah. on. And then I had to wait a year to get it. Yes. Uh, and that was very challenging because right. I, I couldn't be located here. Right. So I wasn't here for a year and a half. Um, it did give me the opportunity to one work from our headquarters for four or five months. Okay. And it was really good to connect with all the mm -hmm. local managers and the teams and people management. That was really good for my relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, because later you're the one that has to kick kick in open doors and 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 basically be pretty aggressive about yeah. hey, I need these things to to fix my market. Uh, and from a personal perspective, I, I've been in Mexico then for seven months surfing. So I, I, I honestly, I, I, I think I, I remember that. Yeah, I just wanted to say, I remember you working from Mexico, yeah, I think I with the surfboard in the background. Correct, so correct. looking back, might have been just worked out fine. I wanted to take a sabbatical right. at some point, And this was like a work sabbatical, I, right. I would say. And, and I very much enjoyed it. Uh, I'm happy to be back, though. So yeah, I'm we're, back we're very that. happy that you're back, <laughs> yeah. too. I was just wondering because I'm always curious. Well, both of us are in regards to cultural differences and we happen to all be Dutch. But did you have or do you still face certain yeah, differences that you notice in regards to cultural differences, I guess? Yeah. I mean, again, we can do an episode about this as well, but uh, in, a, in a nutshell, the most obvious thing is Dutch are direct. You see this in this conversation, but we're, we're very direct yeah. and it's not necessarily a bad thing because Americans don't like BS, right? So it's, they, they you, you don't, you don't, you know, you're calling to the chase, you tell them what they're up for and, and you're honest and actually therefore they, they like doing business with, uh, with our culture. It is sometimes important to make sure from a technical perspective, specific, specifically to not always say, no, that's not possible, but mm -hmm. give a little bit more uh, <laughs> context to it or say like, hey, well, that's a, that might be a challenge. Let us take a right. look at it. And then, uh, of course, eventually you have to tell them uh, that uh, that's going to be a challenge. But right. uh, yeah, no is a very hard no for them. Other things are they're more uh, hierarchical in in U.S., um, and they expect fast responses and they're more financially driven. They have higher turnover, but this all can be downsides, but mm -hmm. it can also be opportunities. And I, I always explain this to my colleagues as an opportunity, right? Because think about those a combination of those four elements. It can show uh, if you are able to show the financial, the prospect or the ROI of your mm -hmm. platform to uh, the right person in an organization, it can go really, really fast in terms right. of decision. We saw that at, at Sana Commerce, right? Decision making was faster, um, but also now in Channel Engine, I see the same. It can also be turned around differently, right? So right. we also had people that signed and then someone else came in and they're like, oh, no, we quit the project. But uh, therefore, mm -hmm. you have to sometimes resell it a little bit. Well, and it would be great for you as like a team leader to sort of find that balance maybe of like, you know, you have your European background, but then also you want to make the best of like here in America, I think. Um, no, I love finding that balance. Right. That's a because good. you're saying it could be 
a bad thing like the turnover time or you know how they expect you to answer much faster than in comparison to like Europe. Uh, especially that fast response at something so small, uh, but it is also tough because the colleagues in Europe, they're in a right. different time zone, right? So Correct. Yeah. You have to make sure that they realize that and the people that are going to have to be involved in those projects from Europe, mm-hmm. they need to also have some dedication of evening or at least look at their yeah. email sometimes in the evening. That and awareness. I, I'm not the biggest fan that people work 24 hours a day. So no. I always say like start later, right? I, I, I typically worked from 11 till nine yeah. or something in the Netherlands yeah. uh, when I was mm. working from there and that worked, that worked fine for me. So. And do you notice, are there certain things that you actively do? Because we hear this a lot that, of course, you have the headquarters in Europe or in the Netherlands, and then the US team in the beginning is still quite small. So sometimes it's difficult to really make sure that they work together very well and that they know what the other is doing. Are you actively doing something to make sure that that relationship works well? Or Yeah, I'm, first of all, it was... Uh, it was not intended, but working from there for a couple of months was very powerful. So I would always advise if you're even hiring someone in the US, make sure that they get to the to the Netherlands or yeah. to wherever you're from for a certain period of time, not just three days, uh, to also build a connection, right? Mm-hmm. It's important to build that connection that, that they feel okay sharing because that's something that you'll find if you're if you're hiring uh, Americans they will it, they're more hesitant to share something if they, you don't have that relationship with them mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. if it's your leadership right yeah. so that's that's going to be always a, a tough thing but if you build that relationship they might be able to share more and that's what we're used to right we we will hear when something yeah. is wrong and otherwise things are right but with that with, <laughs> with americans it's slightly different sometimes uh, further, I tried to go back every quarter. Uh, I didn't do that when I was in Mexico and I noticed it when I came back, I was like for two days, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, you know, you're back and this, and then let's have a coffee. And it was, like, it, yeah. was it was a little bit overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So it was good to just tell myself I need to come back every quarter mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, to make sure I align and I yeah. promote my region a little bit internally. Right. Um, and, and something that we did is I, I invited our leadership or some people in our leadership for some of the events. Mm-hmm. So they met the team, they shared knowledge, right. they could speak on those events, right? My CEO mm-hmm. came to an event and sp- spoke there. And that was actually very beneficial uh, for us, but also for them to understand uh, how big this market is yeah. and how, how, how the people react and what everyone wants. So I think that was very powerful. And then I'm also very curious how you built the team in the US because you started all by yourself. Um, But yeah, you've just moved to a bigger office. You've hired quite a few people. Could you tell us a bit more about what what were your strategic moves there? Yeah, I started with hiring uh, an account executive and him and me, we were just kind of like the two of us were doing this together. Uh, so that was also, we had to figure out how pricing product, how everything works, get the project, you know, get people from the project involved, etc. Then I hired another account executive, um, a partner manager, support, BDR, uh, and then marketing. Uh, how I would suggest uh, to do it better or maybe in uh, my learnings from it is I think it's good to hire salespeople and BDR and stuff, but yeah. don't forget about 
the onboarding or the project people because that was sometimes uh, struggling of course it's a chicken and egg story because you mm, need to yeah. have the deals first before you're able to hire people right but now we're like we have these deals but some clients walked away because they're like yeah you you guys are not responsive enough uh luckily we now hired a team in toronto mm. uh that uh, to easier attract talent and that kind of stuff because the us that was a little bit tough mm-hmm. um but yeah that was definitely a learning um, and all yeah. onboarding is done in the US and then Canada or also still dependent on the Netherlands? So now for larger projects or they're still, the people in Canada are still onboarding. So yeah. they are still being uh, um, yeah, taught the ways with involvement of the Netherlands. Uh, but we da- we there have dedicated people who are doing the US projects. So they, they work a little bit more US hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but very soon, I think the team in Canada is going to be independent to, and they are servicing the US market from a, that's uh, a technical onboarding perspective. So one advice is definitely make sure that you also have the capacity to really assist the clients before you generate the new leads. Exactly. We did hire support, tech support, but that actually yeah. comes after onboarding. Yeah. Uh, so I think, <laughs> but that was a learning from another uh, experience. So that's why it was, ah, shit, we, it was good to tell the story we have 24 seven or around this follow the sun uh, support. Yeah. Um, oh, but eventually, nice. and actually it, it ended up being really good good for the Netherlands, the Dutch clients who had issues in the evening. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, the onboarding part, uh, now we're, we're really ramping that up or actually we, ha- we hired a, a team of uh, five, six people there. So. And you already mentioned, I think in the challenges that it's also, it was a bit of a challenge to find great sales people. How did you work it out? I, I would say I'm a bit of a salesperson myself. So I just started mes- messaging people myself. Yeah. I think that says a lot about it. And I, the message was also like, do you want to, you know, do this together with me, you know? And that's also my mindset. Um, so the first person to hire was Kevin and, and he's been great. He worked, he came from the space and, and him and me just pioneered this together, but yeah. I also had to find someone who yeah. was pi- who was able to pioneer. And yeah. uh, I think we did, we did that well. And, and then you hire different kind of personalities that are, um, yeah, even more organized or more strict or more uh, hunting or the or I hired someone with a very big network, right, mm-hmm. uh, in partnerships, and I think that saved us a year of time of growing that ecosystem. So, yeah, I I think luckily I was able to uh, persuade or to tell my management team like, hey, we need if we have the right people with, of course, the the coming salaries with it, uh, we can scale the market. Um, better mm-hmm. and, and I'm happy we did that. Do you think that you had to fight harder as well because the US was still in such an early stage that was more difficult that you didn't really have anything to show for in the US locally? So funny that you asked that. Um, my colleague, So basically we also at the same time opened an office in Singapore and Australia and I tried to, uh, I think my management was approaching those three regions almost similarly, um, but it was, it, and it's very, I, I understand, right? In size, it could be the same, but I knew in e-commerce and marketplace size, and but also how aggressive uh, American businesses purchase software, mm-hmm. I, I knew from my experience, it was different. Um, and I, I did that actually to prove just to get bigger and more deals or try to do that yeah. uh, in order to kind of like prove that the US was different. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, that was at least my personal approach, <laughs> but that's just, I think a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
And we'd love to get some insights as well on the e-commerce landscape. What are the opportunities for European e-commerce companies in the US market? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, I do it a little bit with numbers, this answer, uh, because it's it's such a vast, it, it's a crazy market, right? So Europe has the total retail sales is 3.8 trillion and USA is over 4 trillion. So wow. US has a larger sales, retail sales. E-commerce is 844 billion in Europe, where it is in US 960 billion. So again, US <sighs> surpasses uh, Europe. Year over year growth in Europe is 12%, right? Where it is in the US 18.3%. And now the funniest thing in Europe, the population is 447 people, mm -hmm. where it is in the US 333. So you can imagine the US is a consumerist market. Wow. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I'm I'm one of those as well, right? But it's just you're it's just you're easier because you have a bit of a bigger salary and you can you can do more with it and therefore you're just like oh i'm just going to purchase this because i want a new product or and then right and, guilty. And, and, yeah, and i love that guilty of that. <laughs> so that's that's just something that i i after these numbers i think oh, you, can, you can show the yeah. the potential of the us market a little bit and did you see a difference that it grew faster because of COVID in the US or in Europe? Because I imagine that more people are doing online shopping since COVID. Yes, that's kind of like why we grew suddenly so fast, right? We are, we, we kind of like exploded because of it. We have a, a model with our clients that it's, it's somewhat revenue based. And because all of my our clients were blowing up, we were blowing up as a business. Uh, so our valuation went up a lot and therefore raising a good amount of money uh, was a lot easier. And we did that during exactly the right time. Yeah, the timing was perfect. But yeah, for us, the timing, yeah. I would say, was, was perfect. That's maybe another piece of advice. I see some companies stay bootstrapped. I, and I've worked for Sana, which is bootstrapped and at first is challenging, which is has investors. And it, it's, it's a different uh, mindset of running a business. Um, luckily, Sana had the, the, the financials in order to, to facilitate it. But if you don't have that, you, you're going to have issues. So you'll need to find uh, VCs to, uh, to back you up. Yeah. Uh, and we got lately a lot more local or at least a US VC as well. And I think that was also very beneficial for network perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then if we look at the marketplace landscape in the US, what are the current trends that you're noticing? Yeah. And again, we can do an episode about this as well. <laughs> um, generally speaking, Amazon is the most desired and biggest platform, right? And uh, in the US, t a typical client on marketplaces, uh, mostly they do like 80% of their revenue in generic categories on Amazon and then another 10%, 15% Walmart. And then, you know, some other marketplace that typically is for their industry. Um, good to understand that the GMV across the top 10 marketplaces in the US is around 500 billion. So you can see it's more than, it's almost more than half the total e-commerce, right? So and we're also seeing the trend of marketplace sales, and this is globally actually, but the trend of marketplace sales is relatively growing uh, uh, compared to the normal e-commerce. So mm -hmm. your own website is has the highest profits, but of course, the marketplaces are, are very 
good opportunity mm. to capitalize on because of there's already a lot of sales, but they also have a lot of client bases and right. a lot of uh, um, yeah infrastructure to to make that successful. Uh, however, the Amazon share is declining a little bit. Mm. So we're seeing it. It was forty-seven percent. It's now thirty-seven percent. And 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 uh, where Amazon grew fifteen percent, Walmart grew twenty-one percent. Right. So mm. we were seeing Walmart is catching up. I'm not saying they're going to be as big as Amazon ever, but but we are seeing some trends. Other things that we're seeing in terms of development is that a lot of retailers are becoming online marketplaces. We've seen this already in the Netherlands. Uh, right where Vacomp, most people don't know uh, that's that also became a marketplace, yeah. and there's there's a lot of them uh, right now. Proxis just became a one. Uh, it's oh. it's very interesting, but but here the, these proxises are well a hundred times bigger. Oh, and not to forget, uh, just TikTok launched there. There's oh uh, yeah, uh, Pinterest is working on it. Um, well, they said they have it, but technically, I don't know. Uh, Meta. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to share, but uh, there's a lot of developments uh, right. in in these social platforms. So this is going to be the market. It's so basically, a lot of channels. Yeah, all stores have to go to the marketplace now. They have it, to get a marketplace. The, there is, I mean, there's still a lot to say for retail or in-store purchases, and there, that will remain the case for a lot of categories. Um, but in terms of e-commerce or online sales, I think it's inevitable to to uh, use marketplaces right. for that, or at least for the first purchase. Right? One of our clients is Sonos, and what what we're doing with them, or what they do with us, is every new market or new country they go towards, mm-hmm. they use uh, the mar- the local marketplaces to get the first orders. And then they they bind these clients to them, and then the rest of the follow orders for the big purchases or the extra speakers are all on their own websites. Wow. Funny enough, Brooklyn and not with us, unfortunately, but here in Brooklyn or in the US, they they do the same. They use mm-hmm. marketplaces for the first purchase, right. and then people are hooked, and then they're gonna yeah. they're gonna purchase uh, on the website because you you bind as if you have such a good brand, you can you can bind them to you. So it's really good for some brands to do that as a first uh, yeah. move. Then I'm also wondering, are there any consumer behavior differences between Europe and the US that e-commerce companies that would like to expand to the US market should be aware of? Yeah, I would. it, it feels to me more like a global trend also. Um, of course, there's payment flexibility that we see now with Afterpay or maybe an interesting one. And that's something we had in the Netherlands already earlier than the US, but the buyer moral starts picking up. So, you know, sustainability mm. in products and that kind of stuff is more and more important. Uh, and that's an argument to pay more for something with, which is uh, uh, built from, you know, plastic, ocean plastic or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I'd say in terms of the industry also I am in or we're in, the use of multi-channel and that behavior on multiple platforms is rising. So you're using sometimes Amazon for your product search, right? But sometimes your product search or your your selection starts somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Or for instance, 72% prefer Wayfair's customer service uh, chat as a first option in, in that specific industry, of course. But then funny enough, 40% of the purchase end up in Amazon. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, similar that, um, and this was from a survey of, of one of our, my partners, uh, around 60% 
said that Bed Bath & Beyond uh, is where they would first go to find their home deco item. Um, but only 32 end up uh, purchasing it there and, and you know, around 45 uh, or, um, percent purchase it again on Amazon. So is that because it's cheaper on Amazon? Or? I, uh, personally, but also with, with, with what do we know? Amazon has a great customer service. Yeah, you trust do. it. You can send it back at any time. You have your account. It's very easy. The shipping is fast. Like the, So that perspective is great. But from a search perspective, if you type in, you know, uh, cutlery and Amazon, you get you get overwhelmed by yeah. what you what you get, right? True. So we're now seeing more and more of the searches are happening mm -hmm. in other places. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're trying to teach brands. They're, they're mostly on Amazon. They're like, yeah, but Amazon's where my revenue's at. So why would it be in the other channels? The other channels also fuel the revenue on Amazon. Right. So then if you look at all the clients that you worked with or still and still working with what would you say are the main obstacles you've seen for the clients or maybe reoccurring obstacles that they deal with i would say especially with the market entry mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's the easiest one if we're talking to european um, brands it is i see that they have a mental struggle with creating an entity mm -hmm. here uh, that's why I, I do refer them to you guys but often it's like yeah no i don't know this and that and then they, they're asking about oh yeah can we do only amazon fba mm -hmm. uh, but it's kind of like a bit of a risk if they if they don't set it up properly so they, they sometimes don't want to take the leap mm -hmm. right so that is that is a little bit unfortunate um because also the taxes and compliances and stuff are, are yeah. sometimes an, an, an issue um i don't think they realize how easy it could be again with you guys or or, or with something similar right. it's not as complicated as in europe sometimes right it's yeah. here here a business is it's very easy to let the business go bankrupt and start a new business mm -hmm. because it's a very business environment uh whereas in the netherlands if uh, if a business that's tied to you personally goes bankrupt mm -hmm. you have a big issue right right so that's oh. why i think S secondary it's the localization of warehouses okay. and and or you know your logistics mm -hmm. figuring that part out some are trying to then get their own warehouse but there's a lot of we call them 3pls or third-party logistics that can mm -hmm. facilitate these services right uh, that i we typically advise or any use fba now the latest thing is that you can also use fba for shipping off some of these other channels uh, mm -hmm. so that could help as well with it do you have a lot of clients that maybe get too confident and think like oh we don't need those services. Like we'll do it ourselves. Would you then advise against that? Saying like use a service like Tabs. Do you have a lot of people that think that they can do it without? I think it's help? mostly these brands are larger, right? And they have their legal team or their right. you know it's more of a restriction internally mm -hmm. where an, an innovative e-commerce team wants to start doing marketplace business and then they are tied up with their legal team we have three clients that either their finance team or legal team is tying them up and oh. therefore they can't start doing revenue uh -huh. it's like they're ready on our plan they're ready to go mm -hmm. yeah and they can't uh because of finance or something like that so uh, yeah, I don't. It's tough to to tackle those stakeholders, yeah. but in 
of course, making a leap like this also involves internal stakeholders that nice. you have to, uh, in your organization, need to make sure that everyone is on board with it. But I also agree that it's I feel like it's also really a mentality switch because we indeed mm. see it with a lot of clients that the US market can feel so overwhelming and a bit of a scary market because you don't want to get any product liability claims or you read all these scary articles. But I feel like sometimes companies don't realize that they feel like it's safer to do everything from Europe, but they don't realize the risk that they potentially have with their foreign entity in the US and the potential legal and tax exposure that comes with it. So that it's sometimes it's much safer, much less risky to indeed start the entity or at least do some protective filings or do your registration. So yeah, I've, but that's also why we have a great collaboration no, so that exactly, we can help exactly. clients. But it's a, it's a, um, yeah, again, if you want to take the leap, go for it, but uh, there's a massive potential. I think the ROI is there, um, yeah. but just don't, uh, don't try to uh, do it half baked, you know? Right. So that maybe ties into our last question is like, what are the tips or advice you would give European entrepreneurs that want to expand to the US market? Yeah, so I have them for brands and for tech companies okay. because I, I bring them on. Yeah. About. <laughs> for brands, yeah, again, like I just said, the US is a big growth potential. It's a massive opportunity, but take it, take it seriously, you know, uh, get the right people in place, find the right partners. Um, Go, go locally, like travel here, go to events, see how big it is uh, and make a good plan to to go for it, of course. Uh, again, for brand, there's a lot of competition on Amazon uh, and you can also consider other channels for uh, either less competition or, um, or uh, to get your brand out in the market, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and it, it is important to, if you go Amazon, you also find the right partner that can, uh, of course, we can do a part because we do listings and, and automations and, and making sure that orders, et cetera, come as, comes in, but um, we're not doing advertising. And then that, that's a big part mm -hmm. on Amazon in right. order to make it happen because there's too many products to try to stand out. And yeah, some uh, addition from my side is uh, show that you're a EU brand because Americans mm -hmm. love European uh, brands. And yeah, I mean, my girlfriend, funny enough, like every, anytime we go to Europe, she wants to do all the shopping there because it, the clothes and everything is different than the US and that's why they like it. So don't right. hesitate to, <laughs> to show you're, you're from Europe. From tech companies, that might be the other way around. So make sure you you show that you're you have American presence and that you have an office here, and you know make sure that you have people from the U.S. Americans that work in your company because they trust it more. Um, and when you're building the regions, make sure you I, I would say you have someone you can actually trust. I. I, I had the pleasure that with my with our founder and CEO, I have a super good connection with the CFO, with with all the the leadership. I have a good right. good connection, and I I trust them. They trust me, and that's very important in order to to do so and to yeah to adjust according to the market. Uh, we talked briefly about it, but the compensation, you know, mm -hmm. do some research, get get advised uh, by the right companies to make sure you do that correctly. Make sure you have your health healthcare, like the benefits, like the healthcare is, is crucial, right? If you, if just an example is you, you, you'll pay at least 500 a month if you don't have healthcare. So it's, it's a big pain uh, here locally. 
yeah, like I said in the start, so this may be more of a summary, but make sure you invest enough in also the overhead or like, let's say marketing to grow, to grow the sales team as well, mm -hmm. as well as the onboarding to make sure your clients retain and, and, and grow fast to, uh, to be happy. Well, oh, thanks so much. Yeah. That's very insightful. It could definitely be very valuable for companies uh, entering the U.S. market. I hope so. Yeah. No. And, and again, like we're, uh, it's not a service, but I, I always like helping companies take the leap. So if there's anyone that wants to have a conversation, then uh, I'm always open for that. That was a great conversation, very informative, and you already shared so many different tips. What were the main takeaways from this conversation, you think? Well, there were so many takeaways that it's hard to choose. But the one thing that I noticed is that a lot of entrepreneurs mention that finding the right talent and building a team in the U.S. is one of the most challenging parts of a market expansion. And I think you already share some very valuable tips on this subject. And I definitely agree with him that it is important to build that connection between the U.S. team and the team in Europe. Mm -hmm. But also culturally, don't say no immediately and show your face at every event possible so that clients can get to know you. Definitely. Networking is a very important part of it. So if you're an e-commerce company that wants to know more about marketplaces in the U.S., let us know and we will connect you to Jordi and Channel Engine. Well, thank you, Flora. And thanks to all the listeners. As always, please subscribe, like, and share. And you can find the U.S. Expansion Series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.